even if the state only breaks even on these cases, it's well worth doing because, you know, it, it puts it out there. You're just, just go and earn an honest living. I mean, if you're smart enough to be that good a drug dealer or that good, you know, a, a tarmac operator, you know, you're smart enough to earn a legitimate business. So why do you have to go down the road of making millions that you're never going to get to spend and possibly risk your life earning that money and, and your freedom? I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Three residential houses, one city centre business premises and one million euro worth of stolen cryptocurrency. Well, that isn't a bad day's work for the Criminal Assets Bureau, but it's just the start of the countless properties, monies, cars and designer goods that are stacking up to make this a bumper year for the Bureau. So what is it that the Bureau is now at? And how is it identifying the hundreds of targets across the country who are regularly handing over their loot without a fight? Today, I'm joined by Sunday World journalist Eamon Dillon as we look at the recent successes of the Bureau as it approaches 25 years since its original formation. We discuss the luxury homes, the flash spending and even the new teeth that have landed countless criminals in the dock. This is Crime World Extra, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I started off my week in, um, well, on virtual court, Eamon, and I just popped into the Criminal Assets Bureau monthly list which is always interesting to see who's where and where the cases are. And some of them get kicked along for a long time and some of them get settled. But there was three cases settled on Monday alone. And that follows on from uh, the Criminal Assets Bureau getting the key to three houses across the country in the last week. Um, They got business premises, etc. there on Monday. It sounds to me like they're going to have a bumper year, probably their biggest ever for certainly seizing um, houses and, you know, the kind of the big value products, which is um, poignant in itself, given that in October, it is 25 years of the cab's existence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and when you look at, you know, back in the late 90s, you know, people were to some extent scratching their heads, pulling their hair out. How are we going to deal with these guys there? Remember, there was the talk about some of these drug gangs were bigger than the state. And the response, I guess, was, you know, the new the legislation that was enacted that time, uh, the Proceeds of Crime Act, and that allowed the state to, you know, genuinely start fighting against the real power of the gangs, which isn't like the number of muscle men they have or how many guns they can access, but it's how much money they have and how much power they, they can buy and, you know, how much influence they can peddle, you know, with with the money. So... I mean, it was a key moment, I think, um, in, in the fight against crime in this country. And it's probably, you know, it, it's, it's probably in, in, in Ireland, it's probably been outsized in terms of its impact. Um, but that's possibly because we were um, punching under our weight, I think, to a large extent in how things were being policed. That was very much always the idea that you police by consent and that you don't really react until it's a problem. Um, and unfortunately, that was, it came too late, you know, for Veronica Guerin and all of a sudden we found ourselves in this situation where it was organised criminal gangs were seen as being a threat to democracy in this country. So 
the idea that some of these so-called smaller time guys are now getting wrapped up and they're losing their big houses you know i think i think it's a good it's a good you know way to go i mean these are very much you know they're they're symbols of their success in some cases it's very much about showing off how well they've done you know, I mean, some of these houses, they're valued at enormous sums of money and they've put enormous sums of money in it, but they'll only ever be sold for a fraction of it because of the location it's in or certainly because of who owned it previously. You know, there's not necessarily going to be sometimes, a, a, you know, a huge amount of people scrambling to buy a property that they're a bit worried about, you know, a former drug dealer owning it. But yeah, I, I think it is. It's, it's great to see, you know, 25 years later, and as you say, we're heading into a, a bumper year. I mean, when you think about it, when they started out, the names that were the top targets were all the big ones. There was John Gilligan, there was Thomas Bomber Kavanagh, George Mitchell, um, the late Noel Kingsize Duggan, Jerry the Monk Hutch, all the guys kind of that we would have been writing about even back then. They were the major players on the gangland scene. But when you sit in court or, or you listen to the list, sometimes scratch my head and work out like who is this who is this guy and they're reaching now right into the countryside right into rural Ireland I mean there two weeks ago or so there was a case up before the the high court for the last couple of years it's been trundling along and I've been keeping an eye on it because it's a kind of more of a random one a guy called Desi Enfield and a local profiler in Donegal. Now, there's about 500 of these guards trained up all over the country in every rural area, in every country town. And they're the eyes and ears of the, the Criminal Assets Bureau based, of course, in Dublin. For many years, there was calls for there to be mini cabs set up around the country. But it was kind of decided that the best thing to do is have that powerhouse based in Dublin with all the various agencies that work with them, and then to, to put your, your eyes and ears, which are these profiler guys out around the country. So they're all trained to look for signs of wealth, um, signs of lifestyle, which has become very important. And um, the local profiler up there in Donegal noticed this guy, Desi Enfield, known as a cross-border criminal, and he had sort of renovated this absolutely beautiful home on the shores of Loch Swilly. Um, and he was, you know, he'd builders in for months on end. He had, you know, created this stone-clad idyllic holiday home up there where he parked up his fancy cars and brought his friends out on jet skis on the lake every now and then. And it was the, the sort of just the profiler noticing that that brought him to the attention of the cab. They actually raided that house in 2018 when he was in prison. Um, he had been caught with, along with some other people, with 340 grand's worth of cannabis. Uh, he was transporting it between Newry and Lurgan at the time. That was in 2016. And in court, he was um, described as the leader of a cross-border gang, which was one of Ulster's most prolific drug gangs. So he's in prison and in they go, raid the house, bring out all the uh, documentation they can find and that's how it works. And uh, in the last month, he has conceded and handed over the keys. So that house is now in the possession of the state. And 
you know, it'll be sold and the, the, the profits of that sale will go into the state coffers. And that's what the Criminal Assets Bureau is all about. I think there was um, a similar enough case recently down around Kerry somewhere. Yeah, I mean, well, you're talking about the Patrick Coffey case. Um, he, he would have been um, part of, he would have been a target of Operation Tarmac, which were looking at, you know, these tarmac crews that, you know, travelled both Ireland, the UK and further afield into continental Europe, do, doing the usual trick of offering to uh, to tarmac your, your driveway at a, a, a knockdown price. Also kind of these home repair scams. I suppose, interesting, you know, uh, to go back to Desi, uh, to the, the Enfield, Desi Enfield's case, is that the likes of Coffee and Enfield were actually making their money outside of the jurisdiction. I mean, Enfield was making his money selling drugs in Northern Ireland. So, you know, in, in a way, he he wouldn't necessarily have been on the radar for his criminal activities south of the border. But obviously, he drew attention, as you, you know, with, with his kind of flash lifestyle. And similarly, the likes of Coffee. I suppose some of these guys, there's constant requests about, you know, who is this guy coming in from, you know, whether it's Norwegian police or UK police or police in, you know, the financial police in Italy or wherever. But he actually also built this incredibly flash house in in, uh, in Killarney. Um, I don't know if you saw the pictures of it, the big ornate gates, uh, all the, the fancy stonework. Um, you know, you know his, his Facebook, there was plenty of, of I suppose, um, kind of, uh, how do you say it, impression management going on, that he certainly liked to give the impression he was living a, you know, a high-end lifestyle, lots of nice holidays, you know, uh, selfies in the sunshine with the wife and kids and that sort of thing. So, I mean, again, this is one of these properties now that has a huge kind of cover price on it, but I mean, it won't, it won't actually get that price. But I think the key thing here is that it's, as well as it's, it's whatever assets that were accrued from, you know, crimes committed outside the jurisdiction, more importantly, it's the depriving him of enjoying those assets. And it's also, I suppose, got the double hit of bruising his ego that, you know, this house that was built as a monument to his, you know, his criminal career has now been taken off him. So, I mean, to some extent, even if the state only breaks even on these, these kind of... Um, these cases, it's well worth doing because, you know, it, it puts it out there. You're just, just go and earn an honest living. I mean, there's some of these guys, if you're smart enough to be that good a drug dealer or that good, a, you know, a, a tarmac operator, a home repair scam person, you know, you're smart enough to earn a legitimate business. So, you know, and probably earn good money. So why can't you be happy with 80 grand a year? Why'd you have to go down the road of, of you know, making millions that you're never going to get to spend and possibly risk your life, you know, earning that money and, and your freedom? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, that's, that's, I mean, and there's so many of these other houses. I have a feeling there's a lot of guys, you know, are looking very carefully at, at you know, what, what, what went on with Patrick Coffey. I mean, he did put up a fight, but in the end, I mean, he, he lost his case in the high court. So, yeah, some of them do put up a fight and some of them will very quickly concede and just, you know, come to a settlement because essentially it is civil proceedings and you can come to a settlement if it's agreeable to the Criminal Assets Bureau. I mean, on Monday alone, um, settlements were reached in a, in a case involving stolen cryptocurrency, over a million. Um, that was handed over without uh, any argument. Uh, the state came into the possession of a former brothel, uh, but w- which was being operated in a business premises there in Dorset Street. Um, and there was another agricultural case settled as well. But I mean, just in the last couple of months, even just from a few cases that have been kind of 
going through the system. They're looking for two properties, one in Tipperary and one in Blanchardstown, which was, they believe, were, 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 which were being run as grow houses, essentially. And they've identified a criminal gang with links to grow houses in the UK that owned the two of them. So they're looking for them. Um, we have a selection of uh, our friends from the, from the Kinnahan Mafia who are at various stages in their court cases going through um, proceedings in the case of Ross Browning, who is, um, we would describe him as a lieutenant in, in the Kinnahan Mafia, a man who's moved out to Dubai. The, the state is seeking a 1.2 acre estate in Garristown with a paddock and a show jumping arena out there and two sites in Rush. That's in that case alone. And interestingly, and we have spoken about him very recently on this, but Mr. Nobody was a guy who chose to settle rather than fight because he was in a bad state. He was going into prison and he wanted to try and house his family, didn't he? Yeah, I, I think there's an element to the dog ate my homework with some of the defences that I've seen, you know, um, saying that, I mean, it's a popular one. It was an inheritance. You know, I got it from an insurance company, but I've since moved house and I've lost all the documentation. And in some cases, that was the level of kind of defence that was being used. But when you have to unpick that, you know, and the burden of proof is is on you, it, it, it can be difficult. And I suppose in the past, this is where, you know, attempts to seize assets from criminals would have fallen down. But the Proceeds of Crime Act have basically shifted the onus of proof to the other side. Now, there's been some tweaks, I think, to the legislation over the years. And there's been some cases uh, where different fi findings were made that might necessarily have gone the way the authorities would have liked. But certainly in that regard, you have to say that John Gilligan did the, did the state some service in that he fought tooth and nail from the very beginning, you know, when his beloved Jessbrook uh, was, was confiscated. And so every aspect of, I think, the, the act that could have been tested was tested and all the way to the Supreme Court. I think it's interesting as well, just now that I mentioned Gilligan, and you were talking there about Ross Browning, and I, you can't help but notice that in a number of these cases that there's um, paddocks or an equestrian arena I think there's um, John McCormack from Shannon as well, was certainly fond of his horses. I mean, you know, it's obviously, you know, this isn't something that you, you put into your, you know, into your house with an eye for resale. This is very much, very much about, you know, enjoying your, your ill-gotten gains or certainly showing off to your pals. Look what I've got. Let's talk about McCormack just for a minute, because you're talking about them putting up excuses. My God, he put up everyone in the book. He said his money came from wedding presents, from personal injury claims. He'd lottery wins. <laughs> he was making money from dog breeding. But, um, you know, he really, really fought tooth and nail for those houses. But um, I think that in the end, none of his excuses um, cut mustard in the court. And, and it's interesting again on this one, even though he, he had assets abroad, the four houses in Fortaventura, or I think, well, at least three of them were in Fortaventura, the fact that, okay, the criminal assets guru weren't going to be able to get their hands on those, but the fact they existed and the fact they owned them, they were able to use as evidence to show that here's more money that he has that he can't explain. So that, okay, if he did have a certain amount of an inheritance or X amount from, from a wedding present or a lucky gamble or whatever it was, that, you know, it certainly wasn't going to cover all these other properties in the Canary Islands. So I think that kind of cross-jurisdictional approach that they're able to bring into it is, you know, makes it so much more difficult for these guys to, to hide hide their cash, you know. I mean, you know, the world has become a small place, I think, for a lot of criminals. And un unless you're in the kind of the super rich category that you can hide out in Dubai, I mean, the old the old days of 
heading off to the Costa del Crime and keeping a low profile are, are well and gone. And you know McCormick, and and he was he's from sort of the Clare Limerick area, and I think was identified by local profilers down there. Hasn't a conviction for a long time, but the the High Court did hear that he's still involved in drug dealing, stolen properties, etc. Um, he actually wanted free legal aid, which is what gave Gilligan the legs for so long to keep fighting the thing. And uh, the Bureau, you know, put up a case against that. He was fighting for it. At one point, he was sort of asked, would he not consider selling some of those four holiday properties he had, uh, three of which were in Fortaventura? And he said that he thought it was outrageous that he would be asked to sell the properties because of the state of the, the place from COVID. It was early on in the in the COVID situation. Nobody knew really what was going to happen to the properties. So he didn't feel that they were going to reach their potential. So he should not be forced to sell them. It's quite extraordinary if you if you sit in the courts with your sandwiches and your um your pot of tea, the things you can hear. You could either <laughs> either drive yourself demented with it or you could just laugh. Because really, some of the stuff is it's just crazy what they're expecting a court to believe. To some extent, our, our criminal classes at, at one level are only playing catch up now in, in how far you have to go to actually to be able to hide your assets. That to all intents and purposes, you've got to be able to withstand an, an, you know, a really aggressive tax audit and be able to show where every penny's come from. So in other words, unless you have it in, a, in you know, as I was said earlier, unless you have it in somewhere like Dubai or Russia, you know, you're not going to get away with it anymore. It's going to be very, very difficult because, I mean, if you put up a complex structure of of uh, shell companies and various payments, you're, you're you know, you're you're making yourself look more guilty. I mean, there's no reason to for anyone to structure their finances that way. I mean, that was one of the things that you mentioned about the the, the Chinese grow house, the individuals involved in that, um, that the two properties were bought with cash payments, but they weren't by single cash payments. There was you know, possibly dozens of people involved in putting the money together to buy each of these, you know, as if it was some kind of a collective. But like to unravel all that then, um, you know, again, makes it, you know, so tricky. So, I mean, the, the, I suppose the Criminal Assets Bureau have to figure out, you know, who they're going to, you know, who, who's the beneficial owner of the property. And regardless of whose name uh, is on the pieces of paper or the any contract, it's they're the people who are who are making the money from it. And when you remember that, I mean, that was, I mean, the properties themselves aren't huge, but, uh, you know, with, you know, 360 plants at whatever, making 250 times, you know, 250,000 euro per crop and whatever it is, four to eight crops a year. All of a sudden, these little, you know, properties in Blanchestown and the Bancher Road outside of Tipperary are, are suddenly, you know, to, to the, the people involved in this, they're worth millions. You know, they're absolutely worth millions. Behind the hall door is where they've actually tried to hide the money in recent years and, and the Criminal Assets Bureau are finding that more and more. You have the classic, uh, you know, case of the home of Liam Byrne, which is now up for sale. €750,000 is spent on a refurbishment of that house, which is on the market for four hundred and fifty. Um, Another kind of lesser spoken about, but, but indeed... Similar kind of thing happened with John Boylan, um, an unemployed floor fitter married to a hairdresser or certainly partnered with a hairdresser, Leona Kinsella. And they bought their house in 2015 in Forest Hills in Rathcool, a three bed in need of refurbishment. It was on the market for 175. By the time the Bureau 
were in looking at it, they realised they had spent between them 400,000 on it, putting in a large extension, a games room, you know, a man den, a full granite kitchen, the works. Um, and they still had money left to put a Mercedes in the drive, buy a mobile home and have 79,000 in the bank. And he was claiming that that was, uh, well, I mean, I don't even know whether he, he had any argument about where he got the money from, but he was essentially trying to hide it, you know what I mean, behind a cheaper looking property. Uh, Sean McGovern, Liam Burns' business partner again, and I was in that house, former council house, and 250 grand was pumped into the refurb on this. But all of this is now being used against them. Yeah, you'd, you'd wonder how you can fit that amount of expense into, into some of these houses. But at least at least Boylan put his 79 grand in a bank account because if you remember the case then, I think it was a story that you did, you covered as well, was um, Jason Boyle and the Boyle family where among various things, there, there was 72,000 found buried in his parents' back garden, which they said it, was, it belonged to his dad, Larry, and it's because he didn't trust the banks is why it was there. And again, that was another kind of, you know, former Dublin Corporation house fitted with a jacuzzi, sauna, bulletproof windows. You know, he had the, the 47 grand Audi parked in the driveway as well. And basically, you know, tried to fight the, the case twice over when the judge changed, you know, in the, in the criminal access here and tried basically to re- re-enter everything and said that, look, if you don't believe us, we'll get our elderly grandfather in his sickbed and we'll wheel him into court to, to you know, give evidence about, you know, how they, how they acquired the properties. You know, this is... You know, I mean, some of the detail was was just, you, you look at it and you wonder, like, you know, I mean, one bedroom was a wardrobe which held 40 pairs of runners in different colours to match his outfits. Um, he, you know, he was a regular out in sunny beach in Bulgaria. You know, there, there was, apart from the cash in the back garden, you know, there, there was all the money again spent in, in, you know, I think it was up to 250,000 on the various renovation and improvements that were made to it. So, I mean, you know. It's kind of it's it's an eye opener, isn't it? I think into how much money is made um, by some of these guys, and you know, and and to be honest, you know, at best, some of these guys that we're talking about now, like like not so much Boylan, but certainly Boyle, would be kind of junior management. I think in the scheme of things, if you put the likes of uh, Daniel Kinahan and you know, and 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 the Penguin, Mitchell, at the, if you put them at the top of the, the corporate board, um, these guys are, are, you know, they're the assistant manager to a McDonald's franchise in terms of the drug world. But, you know, look what they've got buried in their back garden. It's not their dead cat. Jason Boyle, incidentally, just as an aside, spent 17000 on his teeth, which many of them do as well. You notice the, uh, they look like they're maybe borrowed from their grandmothers or from a horse, the big, huge white teeth. And he also had a sort of life-size poster waterproofed of Scarface just above the jacuzzi so he could um, sit under that and obviously dream of being a gangster. Uh, But he did vow to bring his grandfather into the courtroom in a hospital bed and I swear to God I'd say he would have done it if he thought for a second he could have got those properties back. When you mentioned the teeth Mm. and cosmetic surgery, if you remember then there was uh, Andy Cockwall uh, when they raided his home, I think it was in Newbridge in Kildare, which was bought with half in cash and half of the mortgage when it was taken off him. But among the various documentation that the cab officers found was a receipt for the the breast augmentation work that his wife got done in a private hospital. So, so it's not just teeth are are being are being enhanced with the with the no. with the proceeds of crime. At least he paid for it to go private. Um, 
I think this conversation is going downhill now, is it? We have to, <laughs> you know, come back to the seriousness of the situation, which, which it is. And as we started with 25 years of cab, and it is good to see them out there fighting the good fight because, um, you know, when you when you dip in and out of these hearings every month, you kind of, you sometimes can get a little bit weary of everything because it just seems as if the problems with drug and cri- drugs and crime are just so big that the good guys never win. Whereas, you know, you sit through these hearings and, and quite often, um, you know, you see the bad guys are, who are the ones who are going out with the uh, the shoulders down. So um, we're hoping that it will be indeed a bumper year for them and we'll... we'll um, Come back with a few more stories maybe in a few months' time, see how, how they're doing before the courts and with these uh, with these uh, receiverships of these houses. Eamon Dillon, thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, Why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.